Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files, the Tuesday edition with Coco Konski. And it's that time of the month in which we have Ladies' Night. Uh, so, and we have a lot of great guests available to us. So, but before I do, I want to introduce myself. And for those people who, who don't yet remember, or those new listeners, and you can call in 646-929-0130. It's ladies' night, and, as, and it's our model. Nothing's tabooed on ladies' night. Uh, I am the chairman of America's PAC. I am the Kids Majority Foundation, and I'm the author of eight great books, not yet bestsellers, but they all should be. And, and Coco, I'm going to... Hey. Go Hi. ahead and tell everybody about you. You 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 missed the you missed the crucial joke. You literally said it's that time of the month, and I had responded with my period. I don't know. I <laughs> I have weird thoughts in my head. I'm sorry. That was. I was like, wait a minute. How did you know this, Tom? You were psychic. <laughs> no. Yeah, I I was just saying when I said that, my first thought is, okay, on Ladies' Night, is that the. <laughs> Right thing yeah, to say. I know. That's why I was like, <laughs> "Wait a minute! How did how did you know? God, you're like you're, I almost said psychotic. Yeah. I meant psychic, but who knows? Yeah. Um, well, okay, here's a so yeah tonight. Yeah, hi everyone. Tell about yourself. My name my name's Coco. Um, I'm a writer. I live and work in Burbank, California, and I co-host this show every Tuesdays when I can when I'm not busy working away um and today is ladies night so we have some kind of cool topics we're kind of trying to go with the flow tonight um no pun intended and um <laughs> yeah so let's let's go ahead and do that now, I, now i'm just thinking now I'm just, tom you know what i blame you because now i just have a bunch of period jokes in my head so thank you for that thank you yeah thank you uh yeah uh, okay um all right. First of all, let me introduce uh, our guest, Lauren Bice, the official European correspondent. And, and one of these days, we will bring uh, Lauren in for some discussion of what's going on in Europe. 
But for the time being, uh, I'm going to put it this way, Lauren. You guys, you're one of those people with a resume so darn long it would take a whole segment just to to give it <laughs> up. So why don't you kind of briefly tell us about yourself? Yes, I'm that giggle you hear in the background. That's <laughs> started out the show. <laughs> Um, also, I'm an American that's currently living in um, Dublin, Ireland. I'm a playwright and I'm a um, film writer, also director, and um, I have a degree in film studies, um, currently finished at um, the Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland, as I just said. And I'm very happy to be with you guys here this evening. Um, always a pleasure for the last three years on this show. So, um, yeah, yeah three, years. That's three years. Three years. Yeah, three years. That's yeah, three years. And we also have uh, C.C. Harrison, a counselor and also graphic novelist. C.C., how are you doing? Uh, C.C.? All right, uh, we'll do uh, C.C. She uh having a little technical on her phone side of the equation. Ho- you know, hopefully she'll call back in real quick. Uh, so real quick, so I, real quick, Tom. I I had kind of a day, and I kind of like to talk a little bit about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Um. So I had an eye doctor appointment today, and because I was like way overdue for one, I hadn't been since 2019. Cool. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, two amazing things happened. Uh, one, I I got into a car accident, which was like super fun um a guy was like texting on his phone and like blew a red light and like hit me and so the entire time was just like oh my god I'm not going to make my appointment I mean I love how that's like I'm in I'm in like an accident the only thing I'm thinking about is not making my appointment because I generally didn't want to go anyway because of COVID and so you know if I have an appointment I'm going to go so I go, I go to the eye doctor, and then they actually checked me out to see if, like, I had a concussion or whatever, and I, I didn't. But they recommended that I didn't sleep for, like, 12 hours, which sucks. But my vision, I actually now have 20-20 vision, which I guess is a good thing. I'm not too sure. But um, interesting enough, I am, like, almost to the point where if I don't have, like, prescription contacts, I'm, I'm, like, visually impaired. It's, like, pretty bad. It's really bad. Like, if I don't have my contacts in, I pretty much can – I just see, like, little lights. Like, I I can't read. I can't can't do anything. So they gave me my prescription, and they gave me, like, these new contacts. And I I don't know. I'm just really excited about this because this is, like, the first time I've really been out of the house in, like, Mm -hmm. over a year. And that makes me really sad that I got excited about going to see the eye doctor. That was like my outing. <laughs> I was so excited yeah. to see the eye doctor because I was getting out of the house. And uh, I can see now, which is great. I was blind before. Yeah. yeah. But oh, yeah. is that sad? Yeah, look. yeah. That is sad. Uh, that's a very sad story. Before we do it, uh, are you on the line? Uh, we're having problems with CC. It keeps. Uh, Getting disconnected, uh, so we'll keep uh, uh, trying with her. Uh, you know, see what we'll try to figure out what's going on with Cece and and go from there. Uh, I think what I wanted to do is kind of start with 
know, women and art, your obstacles, everything you have. I got some data here. I want mm-hmm. you guys to comment on. And so, okay. Uh, and I'll start off. Let's start off. You know, the first thing I want to time to do is outline. Uh, and I'll start with you, Lauren. What have been some of the obstacles as a woman you faced in your business? You know, and now you've been in, you know, from script writing, production, you know, a lot of aspects of the arts. Now, what would you say has been those the biggest obstacle you've had to face, or obstacle? Wow. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to hit you with a different perspective because perspective. you're saying, what are my obstacles? And I will tell you that I never anticipated that I would have an obstacle. So I always approached things that I was just going to do what I wanted to do. And I never saw that I was going to have any obstacles. And with that mindset, I never really did. Now, I know right. that's a different perspective than most people have. And most women that I've met always say, oh, it's so much more difficult for women. And it is true. And I will attest to that because I've said on the show many times, um, you know, I had been vice president for the International Center for Women Playwrights. And women have said they had to change their names when they submitted scripts as women. Um, they would put a male name so that they would be accepted for electronic submissions because if it goes through as a woman, they, it would be tossed out. It wouldn't even be read. Right. So I recognize that. But personally, we're talking, you asked me specifically, for myself, I, I just would boldly walk into production meetings. I would present myself. I never was turned away. Um, I, you know, if I wanted to head a film festival, I was always given the credibility to do so. Um, I worked with um, a, 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 a Oscar-nominated um, European film director, um, a Russian one, um, and I was welcomed into the fold. I... For some reason, I just, I guess because I didn't put that expectation on myself that I couldn't do something, that I was allowed to do it. I think if I had the mindset that I couldn't or that I wouldn't be accepted, perhaps then I would have had that fear. So for myself, I didn't have that fear that there was an obstacle. Only in retrospect now do I know that other people feel that they've had discrimination as a female in the arts. But for myself, I don't really think I, (laughs) I know it sounds really naive. I know that about myself too. You know, you both know me enough to know that I kind of like do what I want to do. But I genuinely think that if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll find, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C and, you know, there's the whole alphabet. There's a, right. Like if there's a, you want to do something, you're going to find a way to do it in the best way that I can do it. You know, it's not going to work out for everybody. So that's my attitude. I, I agree with that. I never, I never once thought like, oh, I can't do it because I'm a woman. I'm like, no, man, I can do it because I know I'm better and because I'm a woman. You know, um, that was always my attitude. Um, I've always kind of worked from home. You know, I've never really experienced, like, an actual, like, office environment, so I can't say anything about that. Um, mm-hmm. 
I'm really lucky that I get to work from home. I love it. I have my own hours and I basically, I basically just work out of, you know, my bedroom. Basically I have like a laptop stand and everything here. And so um, I'm basically my own boss, you know, in a Mm -hmm. way. So um, I love that. I love that. I I can do that. Um, So I've never, like I said, I've never actually experienced, uh, a workplace environment. Uh, all right, uh, let me we'll hold on to that. We'll be right back here. This is the uh, Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, there we go. You might know me. I'm Fifty Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in the six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger Welcome. and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Yes, this is Tom Donaldson here with The Bachelor. News Radio Network, uh, and uh, we will. Hey, Coco, why don't you go ahead? And here's the second subject I want you to kind of cover. Uh, you're talking about obstacles, but mm-hmm. deal with some of the challenges that you've had, and then the issues, and go from there. Um, like I said before, um, I've always worked kind of from home, um, and so I've never had the workplace experience environment per se. I've always kind of been my own boss in that regard. Um, like I have my own hours, you know, I'm up at 5 a.m. every day. I'm working from 7 to around 5 p.m. Uh, basically every day except Sundays. <laughs> Tough. Um, but I, lo- I love what I do. And um, it, it's to me, it's like a fun job. I like the marketing aspect of it, and um, that, that's what I do. So, like, I can't, I can't answer about, you know, environmental workplace and stigma like that because I, I've never actually been in an environment like that. You, you know what I mean? But I will – can I, can I interject for a second? Yeah. I, I, the only absolutely. time – the only time I would notice that I've noticed, um, like, I would say, like, discrimination as far as being a woman, you know – is in, in film or in, in art, and I'll say specifically film, is um, being working, like when I was getting my bachelor's, now I have my master's, but when I was getting my bachelor's, and as you know, like getting film is predominantly male, okay? So there was very yeah. few uh, women, okay? And I recall very specifically, and again, like you, Coco, you know, we're very, we're strong, and we're creative, and like we just feel like, we're happy to be here. We'll do what we, we do, right? And right. I got along with everybody. That's just the way I am. I get along with everybody, and I'm the one that's like, gets everybody motivated. Come on, let's go, you know? And I could go, even though I was like the older student in the group, okay? I had more energy than everybody, you know? And I could do 20-hour days. And, but I noticed um, very quickly that some of the guys were getting like, oh, wait mm-hmm. a minute. She's going to be the one that's going to do better at the film festivals. 
she's going to be the one. But see, I didn't get that right away, though. And my friends were saying, right. oh, these guys, you know, they're not happy with you right now. They don't want you taking a lead in the projects. And I remember thinking, oh, come on. Don't think, like, that can't be true. Like, almost like La La Land. Well, sure enough, then listen to this. We went on a major shoot. Um, this was in Colorado. I'll never forget this because I was so stunned. And I always had something to say. Like, I'm never without words. But we were on a major shoot for a project that was given to us by the um, state. And they took us, they, they paid for the transportation. It was a very big right. funded project. There we all were on this um, van, okay, to a military base, no less. So imagine this, okay? There was only myself and one other female and all males. We were assigned what we had to shoot. It was a five-hour shoot. And right. there I am. And all the guys were around me and were on this. It was a cold day in Colorado, which is miserable because it's all gray. And all of a sudden, silently, this one guy says, you shouldn't be doing this shoot. Just like that. And I looked at him. He was sitting next to me. And I, and I said, why? And he says, because you're a girl. And you shouldn't even have a camera in your hand. Oh, my God. I smacked yes. him. Oh, I'll tell you something. Smack him. And it was, no, you know, I remember, like, I... Just, I had nothing to say. Now, that's shocking, right? I, like, right. I guess if a camera was on my face, my mouth would have been open. But I had nothing to say. I just, I had nothing to say. And, but, uh, but it was interesting because I felt like I was observing what was happening. Like, I went out of my body for a minute because. It's a shock. It's a shock. shock. It was. I was shocked. That's what shock is. Know, I was, I was, that's what it was. I like went out, I was like this place, right? And I saw all my guy friends and suddenly like the alpha male came out of them, you know? And that two of them in the front stood up in the van, stood up and they started cursing at him. And they said, <laughs> he's doing it because the professor told him to do it. They were yelling. And, and it created such tension that day on the set, but it yeah, really sure. oh my, God. my way of thinking. The end of the year, we ended up having this major film festival in, in that whole area, and I won the best film. And yeah. But I lost so many friends that year, my male friends. And that, yeah, that so, was a so, bad It's feeling. so shitty. That was it's just a, like, yeah. I said, you know what? It's a really shitty feeling, and you know what? They they weren't secure enough with themselves to be like and recognize that like male or female, whatever. That you know, I mean, to be th- those aren't friends. But you see what I mean? That was the one time yeah. I ever experienced that. You know, yeah. um, and sure. that was a that was a bad thing, very bad. Um, yeah. So, um. Uh, but I think that, but you know, you're in LA, right? You, you're in LA. You, you, yeah. you're around that industry. You know, it's basically male dominated. So you understand oh, for sure. that. For sure. And I think we're seeing a change in that, obviously, absolutely. And I'm so happy about that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and 
I, I think, you know, it's really about talent and, and who's the best. And I think whoever's the best for the job deserves it, you know, regardless right. of gender. Right. Regardless. Now, what, you were talk- what you were talking about as far as, like, what you're doing with your life as far as, you, you know, you work at home, you're your independent person, you know, you make your own hours. You know, yeah. I think that's where things are going. That's what I'm doing. Like, don't you feel like that's where yeah. it's all going for the creatives these days? Um, I'll, I'll tell you something really interesting. Uh, so my boyfriend, he's a, he's a film editor. And from what he has been telling me, that they're, they're always, from now on, they believe that they're going to be working from home. They're not going to be in an office. Um, right. Because it's easier, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when... When you are an editor, you get your equipment sent to you. You have someone from that department, whether it's Disney, uh, NBC, right. CBS, whatever, whatever, whatever the company is, they will have someone install the program and come to your house and set up the computers. And, you know, you have an Avid system, which is basically their main grid. So it's Disney software, mm-hmm. Disney's, mm-hmm. Disney stuff, um, or whatever company you're in. And you can work from anywhere. You really can, and right. it's not just—it's not just safer, but it's cheaper. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not paying for lunches. You're not doing any of that. So I think it's a great idea. I heard they're doing that out of um, the UK is doing that out of Sony, Sony Animation. Uh, they're they uh, have yeah, all Sony. those people doing that. Yeah, Sony's definitely you know? going to be doing that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's brilliant. Um, I. I think it's so great. I mean, honestly, because, you know, you get to work from home and, I mean, yeah, you make no mistake. It's not like, okay, well, your own, your own hours. No, you're still on the hours that you need to work, like whether it's like from 6.30 a.m. till about 8 p.m. Um, right. You know, you're still going to do that, but you're not going to have to commute anywhere. Um, right. you're, if you have an, if you have an assistant, you, you are talking them through zoom or Skype and you get, you mm-hmm. know, the work done. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me can I ask you about the question of this? Does it sure. benefit women, you know, the remote, does this help you guys at all in the business or does it matter one way or the other? Being remote as opposed to that? being in an office. I said, I guess being remote and working remote, does that help or hinder, oh. let's say, women in general from moving up in this biz- in your businesses? You want Coco to go, Coco to go first? Uh, whichever. <laughs> yeah, we'll start with you, Lauren, and then we'll go to Coco. Oh, well, for myself, because of the way I am, I love – I love being remote. Um, for, well, for one thing, I love being, um, well, I love my home. <laughs> so I like having the security of having like a home base, you know. I like my own home. I'm very organized. I can handle my own time management. Um, I, like, I like the fact that I, you know, that I feel like secure, you know. I like that. That's just me. I'm like a nurturing person. So I like having a place that I could call like home um but at the same time like Coco just mentioned I don't have the patience to have to get up and then this commuting aspect of it all to me that's a waste of time you know my my mm-hmm. life is too right. important to me 
I, I really value every moment of my life. I love yeah. my life. I enjoy my life. I like waking up in the morning and seeing a sunset, sunrise and sunset. I, I mean, I right. really, really love my life. And to me, to waste it like that, you know, to, to, to me, all that stuff to me is so ridiculous. Like when I used to work in corporate as a corporate trainer in finance, when I think of the endless meetings that I had sitting and watching people drove on in front of whiteboards, it was it's an utter waste of a life. So here I at least have control and freedom. And as far as co-creating with people, my partner in my production company, who is my best friend, we are constantly creating remotely. And yes, once right. once COVID is, re- releases us from our countries, you know we we can get together and you know finalize the projects we have to finalize. There's ways to do it, but when you're a creative, that's the word. That's the operative word. You create, right? Okay, hold on to that thought. This is Tom Donaldson with Coco Konsky and Lauren Bice here on the Donald, the Tuesday edition of the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Yes, listen, Don, Tom Donaldson here with the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. And let me, ladies and gentlemen, we do have a website, bachelornewsradionetwork.com. You can listen to all of our great past podcasts on this show. So like this show, sometimes next week we will be back on the – you can listen to this anytime, anywhere, because let's face it, when Lauren buys and Coco do ladies' nights, it's always a treat. And don't forget to get your flu okay. shots, and if you get a chance, get your COVID shots. Uh, this is your public service from the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, I'm trying to th- – I, I know I had a question, and it slipped my mind. Uh-huh. It did. So it, it did. It, yeah, it's uh... – <laughs> okay, here, yeah, here's the question. Okay, yeah, here's the question. Let me throw this back to you, Coco, because you're in the modeling. Now, you have you – know, the first question I would say is, you're now working in the marketing side of modeling. Uh, yes. Could you talk about some of the issues that models have been facing over the past several years? And I know we had this conversation with Elizabeth Charney uh, a while back, and, and she kind of detailed some of her stories that were not exactly. Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there, there are always going to be men that try to take advantage of women. Um, 
in the modeling industry, you know, I, I definitely, in that sense, yes, you know, that absolutely happens. It happens more than you would think. Um, and that's why I always like, if people ask for my advice, um, one of the things, you know, if, they, if they're looking to work with a photographer, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of model they're, what modeling they're doing, um, you know, and if a photographer doesn't, if the photographer doesn't um, allow you to bring a friend, doesn't, you know, won't show your portfolio or, you know, has like a secret location, like you obviously are not going to go to the photographer. You're always going to go with someone that's reputable, someone that, you know, has references. So a lot of these girls, when they decide they want to become models and it's just like, oh, this photographer wants to like um, – um, so this photographer wants to, like, book me, and, you know, I always say, well, like, what's his portfolio? And if he's not going to show you his portfolio, then I would say F that guy. Um, that's just, like, one incident, you know. Um, there's so much squeeze with a lot of these model modeling agencies and a lot of these model um, work that there is. Like, I've been doing it since I was about, like, 11 years old. Like I modeled for a while, and now I do. Mo- I still do modeling, um, and you know you're always going to encounter you know kind of skeezy people. Like there's skeezy agencies that promise you certain things, and you know they're going to take a huge chunk percentage of what you make, and you know that's how it is. You either really stick it out, um, get good rep, you know, shop around. Just don't. I would never settle on just like one agent's agency who wants to see me, I would shop around for like the best one, you know, cause you, these are the people that are going to represent you. So, um, in that respect, um, but yeah, it goes on, especially in the modeling industry. You know, there's so much sexual harassment. There's so much, you know, because like if someone is doing adult modeling, they think they can take advantage of you. And that's like absolutely not okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, I something because I know that was an because Elizabeth Sharney mentioned that. Let me ask you a second question because you've also been an act. You know, you've been an acting because if I'm not yeah. mistaken, your first your first film when you you, you appeared in when you were 15. Uh, uh, you don't know, my first film. I I, I was a little younger, but uh, my first film film, like yeah, I was like around 16 years old. Um, yeah. yeah. And there were some definitely skeezy guys. I remember this one guy on set, he actually got kicked out of the set because he was asking women to pose nude for his calendar. And, like, he approached me, and, like, I went to the director, and I'm like, yeah, I'm underage, and this guy just asked if I want to appear in his calendar nude. And they basically fired him, like, on the spot. It wasn't um, like that in the theater. It wasn't like that in theater. Like, I grew up in theater in New York City. I did oh, off-Broadway. So, I did Broadway. So different. It's so it's different. It's so different. It's so different. Let me ask you a question. Why is it different, uh, Lauren? Why, why is it different? Well, um, I, I, I'm not sure why. There's just a, it's just completely different. There's, it, 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 it's I, a different sense of setting. It's a different type of acting you know when you say you're an actor when I think of actors I think Broadway I think 
London Playhouse. I think End Street. I don't think you know. <laughs> I I don't think I don't think Hollywood because to me Hollywood's not really. I mean, there's some great actors in Hollywood. Like I'm not saying they're not, but for me, like a true actor, um, are the English. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's no better actor well, than the English. Well, well, like, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> You're in a battle. It's a battle of the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and the London Academy uh-huh. of Dramatic Arts have a uh-huh. rivalry. Okay, and I'm a graduate of the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So hold on. But the point is, okay. I think what she's, I think what you're saying is that, um, and you know, my school graduated like Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. So just yeah. hold yeah, on yeah, a second. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But. That's too much. But I think what you're saying is, it, 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 as far as what Tom is mentioning, is that um, when you're in New York City, and it, it's very, very serious, okay? And when we would be in rehearsal and things like that, really nobody was, like, hitting on anybody. Nobody was, like, you know, there was none of that. There was no sexual innuendos going on because people were, like, having major philosophical discussions about the text. You know, you were talking about, like, Pinter, and you were discussing Tennessee Williams, and you were trying to find the meaning of it all. You know, I mean, you really lived and breathed theater. There was, there was nothing else but that, you know? I mean, I, I can't imagine. You were so immersed into what you were, the, like, all you ever talked about was the craft. That was it, you know? You didn't care about anything else. Like, nobody cared about who was dating or who was sleeping with whom. It was about what you were doing. It was like you're dancing and you're singing and you're acting. You were a real actor in New York City. You didn't ever go on jobs for, like, commercials or modeling. Yes, absolutely. A hundred for yes. I agree a hundred percent for you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I Thank know. You. No, no, that's so. That's such. That's such a true mindset too. Because like, I, I went. I did a com- I did a commercial, and like everyone in my acting class like looked down on me, and I'm like, a job is a job to me. You know. Thank you. Um. Thank you. I was like, oh it's, it's work. And F and FYI, uh, if you're in a commercial, you probably get paid twice as much or triple than you're going to be in some like play, like off, like off, off, off Broadway. So I'd rather Absolutely. take the money. But that, yeah, that, that, right. yeah that, that, that is so true. That is so true. You said, the minute you said you would never, and I was like, oh, I bet she's going to say commercials. I bet she's going to say commercials. Working in a soap? If you took a job working in a soap opera, as we oh, called it, right? Oh, soap would kill you. Oh, they would kill you. Oh, my you. gosh. You were looked down on, like, oh, my, you're not an actor. Oh, you just oh, you sold your oh, soul for money. I have a very funny story about that. I, I had this horrible acting teacher. Um, not saying his name, but he he caused severe psychological trauma to me. Um, oh. He was just not. He was not. He like bullied me. You know, he outed me yeah. with my eating disorder in front of the entire class. Oh no. Um, oh yeah, it was like really bad. So, and, and this is a, this is this is where I'm going to get to the point is that he had a chance to be on Ryan's Hope. And oh, I love he that. Refused I love to that. Do, he, re, he refused to do it because he's an actor and not a soap star. <laughs> and you know, you know how he ended up in his life? You know, you know how he ended up in his life? Four credits on a movie that, like, has never been seen. 
So that's how his life is turning out. But that I just know. reminded that's me, like, you know, the whole soap, like, and he was in New York. He was a New York actor. So, the, the, yeah, so he didn't yeah. want to do soap because he thought that was that degrading. Yep. That's a choice so you had to so make. that's so funny that you mentioned you that. Make that choice. Yeah. yeah. I know. Well, let me get, yeah, let me put, yeah, let me put, we get both of you on this one because this is, uh, 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 why would it be, is it like low life or degrading to be on a soap? I mean, you still have to act. You still have to do because something. Because it's TV I mean, they, and it's not, portray... it's not Broadway. It's TV. It's not Broadway and not just TV, your daytime TV. And daytime TV is looked at like, you're not going to win any awards for that yeah. except daytime Emmys. So, um, it, it, I mean, that yeah. that's how I feel. That's what I feel why people look down on it. You know what? It's all, there's there's a man there there's a man who um oh God, I forgot the actor's name. Uh John Aniston. Jennifer Aniston's father has been in the same soap for nearly forty years. But mm. the also the reason why people look down on it is because it's not it's because of the um the writing. See, actors yeah. only want to act um because of the quality of the work. So if it's written by Somebody that is credible, like you know, like um, you know, like a Tennessee Williams, right? So or yeah. or an Ibsen, right? Then then it's like oh, or an Arthur Miller, right? Then you say I yeah. am a great actor because I was able to interpret a great not you know playwright. Then you feel like you're somebody. But who who's who is the writer on on, on Ryan's Hope? See, that's not not, not disparaging anybody's right, 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 right. To watch that with my mother, <laughs> but you know yes. what I mean. I'm just saying. Um, that's the whole. That was that's the premise. Absolutely, hmm. well, I I agree 100. percent Well, that sounds rather snobbish. Is what well, it is. Yes. It, it okay, but here's the thing. Okay, I'll give you the, I'll give you another person, example. Be, Betty Betty White. Betty White, Betty White, and B. Arthur. B. Arthur was a New York stage actress. Betty White was, yes, was. a TV star, and yes. they never <laughs> got along because Betty liked to break the fourth wall. Yes. and B. never liked to do that. <laughs> Betty loved to interact with the audience. B. hated that, and that's why their styles differ. So when people say, "Yes, there is a huge difference between Broadway and a TV actor," yes, there absolutely is because you have a fourth wall if you're in a sitcom mm-hmm. and you break that fourth wall. And, you right. know, versus someone who is doing Hamilton on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's really mm-hmm. snobbish. It's just, it's just the way you were brought up in the acting world. It's yeah. true. Well, That's I, just I'm how you were taught. Well, let me, uh, I guess my question would be, you break the fourth wall. If you're on Broadway, the audience is watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say, see yeah, the but audience. It's not, it's, yeah, yeah, yes. But, but it's not sitcom you know, there I'm referring to sitcoms and sitcomy and like you know cheesy laughter and you know like tape shows, um, and and that's I think the difference. And B. Arthur Absolutely. was obviously an amazing actress, the best. Oh, I love her. I loved her. I loved and her. I love and I love Betty White, but they're two I different actresses. Yeah. Of course, I don't know. It seems to me there was this one playwright who used to do some comedies. Uh, uh, I guess it was an English playwright. Uh, What's a Bill? Bill Shakespeare? Yes. <laughs> did he not? Did yes. he not do comedy? <laughs> we're not to do that, nothing. 
because he was being interviewed and he and he was talking about reviewers you know people who re, you know do this you know review movies you know movie reviewers and he said oh they're all they're all trash he, i'm sorry i said it i said it i said it you know half well, yeah, reviewers well, don't the, know what the hell they're talking about i know but well, he was the kicker he yeah the, the thing he said was he said look a lot of these people have their likes and dislikes and he says he's and this director was noted for action films and his attitude was, if you don't like action films, or if it's something you have a bias against already, should you really be reviewing it if you're already going to pan it? And that was his, his attitude. If you don't like it, you shouldn't be reviewing it. Uh, if you liked it, then you can review it from a perspective of that that's a general you like. And action films, you know, they're very popular. I mean, they may not be Shakespeare, but there are moments you can get some good acting. In some of these dramas, I yeah. mean, even with the Avengers, even with the Avengers series, oh, you go through. God, okay, you just was... mentioned the Avengers. How about Wandavision? Yeah. Oh my God, what an incredible show! I mean, Tom. Okay, what I love about Wandavision, by the way, real quick, um, it's like a homage to like the Dick Van Dyke show, to the Newman New New Newhart show, to oh, you know, really? it, it's. Yeah, it's so great. It's uh, I, well, I started I watching it with my. Well, I mean, yeah. it's all it's it's Marvel. So, but you know, mm-hmm. it's it, I don't know if you. I'm a big Marvel fan. Like, I every too, but week, I haven't when, like every yeah. week when my boyfriend's daughter comes over, like we literally just binge watch Marvel movies, and so our tradition is like we'll watch WandaVision together. And it's just, it's so incredible. Like she doesn't understand it really because she's fifteen, and so like the homage doesn't really like click yet. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it clicks for me. It definitely clicks mm-hmm. for me because I grew up watching like yeah. I Love Lucy and all those. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know. I do. I mean, like I say, it's kind of funny. Uh, before I'll make this comment, and then I'll, we'll come right back. Uh, mm-hmm. But I got hooked now on the old Perry Mason. Oh, yes. You know, so I mean, good. The old Perry, and I love the yes. new. I mean, I love the, the remake okay. that they did in the nineties. No, the remake I thought is they were great. Such... Wait, are you talking about the HBO one? Because that one was horrible. No, 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 no. I'm talking about what they did. Okay, I'm talking about is is that Raymond Burr came back years later okay. to do the older mm-hmm. version of Perry Mason mm-hmm. and Della Street, mm-hmm. okay. the older version of Della Street. And they were, mm-hmm. and they'd be like hour and a half, and they were very, very well done. They were very, mm-hmm. but yes. it's interesting to see the difference between, let's say, the old, you know, the new, the newer, the newer version of what Raymond Byrne was doing, because he was doing him, you know, thirty years later, is essentially what he did. Mm-hmm. The characters were now thirty years older, but it's interesting to see the right. difference between the two, the younger version. Because in many ways, you know, Perry Mason, the younger version, he was the more of a leading man. Yes, so, wasn't I mean, he? he was. Yeah, he was more of the leading man, not so much. Mm. And it was it's a kind of a fascination look at. And of course, it's always fun to see poor, you know, uh, you know, District Attorney Berger, who never seems to win. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, hold on, that side. This is Tom Donaldson here with 
Coco Costi and Lauren Byers. We'll be right back here on the Bachelor News Radio Network on the Donaldson Files. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Let's go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I, I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget our website, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. We've got all of our shows. It's a new website. You got all of our shows, and you can get back shows, back issues here on the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. So, okay, now, all right. I, I got a couple, um, there's a couple of staff, a few staffs here, and I want to kind of get your views on this. First of all, what's your definition of visual artist? When you use the word visual artist, what is that? What's how would you I can go it? first. I can go first. Go um, well, there's. I don't really think there's a, uh, a definite um, definition because there's so many different visual artists. Like you can be a visual artist for a studio, like for Fox or CBS, and like you know, you you help the editors. You help them, you know, transform the movie. Um, and there's also, you know, there, there, to me, there's, a visual artist can mean many different things. That's, like, what I see. Because I know visual artists that work in film, and I also know visual artists that work in theater. So, I mean, they're very, they're, they're, they're different. One can be digital. The other one can be, like, literally in that moment, literally in that moment. And so, um I don't really think there's a correct definition for a visual artist. Okay. Uh, Lauren, is that like your Uh, definition? Well, I kind of would say that a visual artist is really more someone that um, utilizes um, more of our traditional methods of like drawing with, you know, paints and um, more tactile, you know, like what we're used to seeing. Someone that could use, you know, the medium of, paints and charcoals and and that type of thing somebody has the artistic ability to transpose an image to paper in some type of form okay that's oh okay well originally i brought this up because 51 percent of visual artists are women oh yeah and i and i was and i was just kind of curious why I, I don't know if you know this, Tom, but you know the the the, the editor of the Wizard of Oz was a female, right? Uh, no, I didn't. Go ahead. No, I did not. Yeah, um, she was. Uh, she was the, the the editor for the movie The Wizard of Oz was a woman. So <laughs> there have been very many, many, many women no. um, editors and visual artists, yeah. and you know, behind the scenes. 
Um, and I actually found that out uh, a couple months ago that the uh, the editor for The Wizard of Oz was a female. Hmm. All right. Now, here's the other statistics. 65 to 75% of students in, I guess, movies, MFA programs, which I'm assuming are masters of of art uh, programs, are women. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Again. So I guess. Okay. Again. Uh, what's your? Uh, yeah. Uh, so why? You know what? You know, what do you is mean, why? Reason? Yeah. What do you mean? You make it sound kind of like sexist. No offense, but no, it no, kind of no, sounds I'm, like I'm, well, I'm, why? No, okay. Well, there's no one. reason why. All right. Well, there's no reason you, why. Well, just because. Oh yeah, just because. Okay, I didn't know if there was a uh, reason or, that you guys could think of, or or an interest why women will be more interested in pursuing this versus men. So it's not so much sex as, as uh, yeah, as as you know, you know, pursuit. Right. All right. So, so I don't. I don't view that. Okay. Now the other. Okay. Here, I'm gonna throw this out here. Let's see. Uh, now, one. Okay. Five percent of artwork in major museums are by women artists. Yeah. What you know? So, what's your what's your view on that statistics? Why is that statistics? And yeah, just go ahead. Okay, I just stated five percent of women in museum U.S. museums walls are by women's artists. Why is in your thoughts? What's your thoughts? Is that a question for me? For either one of you, both of you. So who wants to start first? Okay, go go ahead, Coco. Yeah, I'll, I'll you go ahead, Lauren. Okay, <laughs> well, I mean. Obviously, we have – there's a disparity with the way that with – the, with the equality between the sexes, and it's been like this since, I guess, the beginning of time. Can I say that? I can say that. I just said it. That's just the way it's mm-hmm. been. It's always been that way, okay? There's been – there's equal, inequality about everything, and it's it, it will stay that way until – we start giving people the the right to have the ability to be accepted to the right schools, to to have opportunities, to you know to have job placements the way they they want to have. Um, so I'm not surprised that only five percent or ten percent or not even forty percent. It's like this in every occupation in America. You know, I'm not going to speak to other countries, but it's true in other countries also. It's like this. I mean, that's, it's like this in every, in every occupation. Every occupation. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or if, you, if you're working in construction. You know, women are a minority in everything. It doesn't matter if you're a brilliant artist. It doesn't matter if you're a brilliant physician. You will never be given your due. And the sad part is, just think about what we're doing. The sad part is someone says, 
Wow. Look I at agree. this person. Look at this woman. She's an amazing artist. And you know what? We should be just saying, look at this. Look at this. She's a, this person is an amazing artist. There'll be the one day in this world. Listen, let's say this. One day in this world, we won't be saying this man, this woman will be saying, look at this artist. This artist mm-hmm. is amazing. And we okay, won't now, have to okay. look at anything else. Yeah. Here, I'm going to make the last question because we're going to, we've got about, uh, well, about seven because or eight now, minutes left. Because now Tom is getting me upset. Tommy? With your statistics. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say, I'm just, yeah, these are statistics. Because the other statistic, because I'm going to ask one quick question. Then I'm going to go into a stat. First of all, how do artists get paid? Whether it's TV, whether it's uh, you know painting, whether it is art, visual art. I mean, Coco, you, you take know, that. Say, yeah. Okay, Coco, you take yeah. Yeah, how's this payment? You know, who does the payment? How's the payment drawn out? How's this decided? Let's say, you know, if I did a piece of art, and Lauren did a piece of art, you know, who decides on the value? Which how much they're going to pay for mine versus Lauren, as an example. Did anybody try that? I have a reason to ask this question. Yeah. I'm here. Oh. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my question would be, how would how are artists judged financially speaking? I mean, if I painted the picture, Lauren painted the picture. Which one of us are more likely going to make more money for our art? Hmm. I think is that question to me. Mm-hmm. Would you ever want to answer? Yeah, we'll go, to Coco. Go ahead and answer real quick. I'll give yeah, you this back I mean, here. So. Well, you know, I I think. It depends, like, on the artist, like, you know, male or female, like, whoever has the most experience, like, I'm not going to, and if I like the artwork better, like, I'm not going to care if it's a man or a woman, you know, Um, it depends on my taste, and I think, you know, I think women have been pushed back a lot, I think they really have, as far as, like, being in the environment they're made to be in, especially in the art world, and anything artistic, really. Like, it's just been awful. And I think now it's yeah. like, yeah, now it's the time for women to be embraced and to be loved for, like, their art and not their looks or whatever you want to put it. I think it's all about yeah. talent. All right. Well, the reason I brought that up because the answer is 81 cents a woman. If, you know, if I understood this comes to the National Endowment of Arts, namely, I'll sell my picture Nineteen cents per dollar more than what Lauren will do. You know that's what the statistics say. That's what that's what it so, says. That's what it says. That every picture that I sell is going to be a dollar versus eighty-one cents for you. Wow. So, <laughs> so there's your stats of the day. Well, All thank right. you for that happy little tidbit of information. Yeah, okay. Well. Well, I got on there. I mean, because I, I, I had all these stats here because I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I don't care like, about the stats. Oh. I know, Tom. I know, but you and your stats. But I guess the question. But, but here's my question: What's what? 
Okay, here's my question I'm going to throw back to, all, to both of you right now. Okay, no, what? No one this is where that. we're at, but here's the question. How do you even up the score? How do you get, let's say, women more involved or let's say, let's say, for example, you walk in a museum, you know, you're going to see more women painting. You know, how do we do that? What? You know, I'm asking you the question is how do we get more women into arts, whether it's script writing, whether it's TV, whether it is, you know, in a museum, an artist in a museum. Whether they get I'm solo, gonna you, I'm going to give you higher women. Philosophical, very philosophical answer. Do you want to hear it? Yes, I do. Do you want to hear my philosophical answer? Okay, here it yes, is. Yes, I do. As it's very late. That's what? On this very late. Dub, ready? On this very late ready. Dublin evening. All right, ready? While the while the rain is crashing through my window pane. my window pane. Well, we, are you ready? You have to. Yes. We do it one woman at a time. One painting at a time. We give one woman one opportunity at a time. We allow her to shine one day at a time. That's how you do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's true, though. I mean, seriously. I mean, I'm not not being facetious, but I'm telling you that's all you can do because you can't. Nothing of any worth can be done quickly or in a grandstand way you have to do it with purpose you have to do it with meaning you have to do it with integrity and you have to do it with passion and with belief and you have to believe in yourself more than anything else all you can do and i mean that so Mm -hmm. sincerely okay so well that's uh, a good answer there so what we're going to do here we've got about three minutes left uh, mm-hmm. uh, to conclude the show, uh, tomorrow's show, by the way, Mitch Walling, so the Center for American Experiment will be joining me, and uh, and I will also be on the Dr. Larry show as the co-host as well. So tomorrow is my two-hour stint, and my two-hour stint. That tomorrow. doesn't sound. That sounds so exciting, Tom. Yeah. So all right. <laughs> uh, so Lauren, I'm going to give you a chance to have you know talk about. You know, how people can follow you, talk to you, and what's your latest projects? Oh, my gosh. There's, don't do this to me. Okay. Oh, oh well, you know what? I'll, I'm on your website. How about I leave my information on your website? How's that? I'm doing okay, so much. I, so I will leave my information on your website, but I, I, I thank you for the opportunity, and it's always nice to be on your show, and I wish everybody well. Take good care of yourselves. Um, and um, and and kindness matters. How's that? Yes, thank you very much. And, and I want to thank you because uh, it's now what midnight in Dublin. It is. Yeah, June, give you an award. It's don't I'm, an an award, award. Huh? I'm in bed by I'm I'm a I'm in bed and asleep by like nine thirty. Yeah, you know, and I have I have my first series tomorrow morning at seven a.m. So I love you guys. Don't All right. forget that I love you. God, guys. go to sleep. I will. Yeah, Thank, love you. You. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Coco. Quick we thing, Coco. You. you got anything? To, Coco, you got anything to add here before we say goodbye? Okay. I do not. Just make good choices, everybody. Uh, and uh, I will see you next Tuesday. All right. Sounds good. We'll see you next Tuesday. This is Tom Downs and the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Hey, we want to welcome everyone to you and the law on the Batson News Radio Network, where hopefully everyone is having a splendid uh, Tuesday afternoon, and wherever you're at, the weather is definitely a lot better this Tuesday than it was uh, a week ago today, so, um, but uh, we're we're just glad everybody's able to join us. Uh, we want to remind you that if you're a first-time listener, uh, we want to remind you that if you miss any portion of our show, uh, or if you would like to go back and check out our rebroadcast shows, you can do that at the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. That's the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on uh, Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. And all of that information about our rebroadcast shows is available on our social media platforms. And so we're just, uh, any way we can reach you, we're going to reach you so you can listen to the hottest law enforcement podcast show on the air. And so I have got to introduce my buddy next to me who goes by the name of Chief Swag. How you doing? What's going on, Chief Virgil? Hey, man, um, you know, you know why all the snow is melted, right? Now, is there a reason? Yeah, man. I brought all this sunshine, man, to the to the state, man. To Texas and I mean Oklahoma and Arkansas, man. I brought all this sunshine. So, you know, just my presence, man. Just just your light. Just 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 your light. Is I, that would that be I'm from telling you. Would, would, would that be from the no hair? <laughs> you got one more time to talk about no hair. That's by choice, my man. That's by choice. <laughs> Uh, all right, all right, man. Well, hey, Keith, we uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a guest that's gonna be joining uh, joining us uh, today, and uh, he is uh, Chief Doug Shoemaker. Uh, he is the uh, police chief with uh, up in Colorado, and we're gonna have a a really good topic that we're gonna be uh, talking with him about and to our listeners about uh, police image and how how we are working to tell our story better. And so uh, we're looking forward to, to having, uh, to having him on the, on the, uh, on the show with us today. And um, so uh, a, a lot has been going on, Keith, and uh, you know, we're just uh, uh, glad that uh, our listeners are able to, to tune in and listen to us uh, again. Yeah, me too, brother. I am too, man. I tell you, I look forward to this weekly, uh, this weekly show, man. Talk to you know, hearing from the listeners, man, and hearing from our guests, and uh, man, most of all, man, just to be in your presence, man. That, that, that's what makes this just. That's what makes this nation great, man. Being in your presence, man. Wow, you, you know that that's a, that's a hot. That's an honor. That is an honor to. <laughs> To hear you say that, I mean, you know, because I don't, you know, just don't hear that from me often. So, you know, I'm getting a little, uh, getting a little teary-eyed over here. So, <laughs> that's those onions, that's those onions you eat on that hamburger, bro. <laughs> no, man, that, that's some of them uh, New Mexico jalapenos. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but Keith, you know this this is a, a good topic that that we're uh, we're going to have with uh, Chief uh, Shoemaker, and uh, uh, he um, he is also, and we'll talk about this during the show. Uh, he is also running for fifth vice president for IECP, and if a lot of people don't know what IECP is, it's the International Association of of uh, Chief of Police. So he is a, a candidate that's running for the fifth vice president. Uh, he started his career out in Jefferson City, Missouri, where he spent 25 years uh, work, uh, serving the residents of the capital, the state capital. Um, he is also um, uh, a member of Noble, uh, an organization that, that you and I are both members of. And so uh, just a, a lot of uh, knowledge he serves on some uh, some. Uh, uh, ethics committee with uh, with IECP, and uh, so we're we're definitely looking forward to uh, getting some insight from him as to how you know how law enforcement can really uh, work on changing the image, uh, and uh, that there's a better story to tell than what uh, than what has recently been happening in the news media. And so, Keith, uh, before we get to um, you know Chief uh, Shoemaker, I. This, this question was asked to me, and I think, you you know, we kind of text about it uh, earlier t- yesterday. You know, this incident that happened in Texas, I want to say in Plano, where a young man was walking home from work in the snow with, with a short sleeve shirt on. Uh, he ended up uh police officer's contact with him. He didn't want to answer the questions. Didn't want to have anything absolutely to do with them whatsoever. Um, as a result, he ended up uh, being arrested. The charges have since been dropped. But the question has been posed to me, Keith, uh, by people on our social media is that as a citizen, if you're walking down the street, can you refuse to stop and talk to the police? Yeah, there's there's nothing that says that you have to talk to the police, and they have to have a reason to, that they can say hello, how you doing, things like that. But you know, to, to be detained, there has to be reasonable suspicion or probable cause. Uh, but you know, if we just can't stop you just because, just because we want to, just because we we had to, and and that and that incident, man, is is garnering a lot of discussion uh, regarding. Yeah. Were the officers trying to look out for this person's welfare? Uh, I'm going to tell you what I saw. I saw a young man. Now, I, I would have been concerned if I would have seen someone walking uh, with, you know, just a T-shirt on and some shorts walking home in the, in the, in the weather. Uh, but, but I think there was a way to approach that. I'm not armchair quarterback or anything, but I, I can see the officers wanting to check on his welfare. Um, but at the same time, you got to understand where this kid lives. You you you'll understand the purpose of and everything that's going on. I don't want no part of the police. I want no part of the police. I don't want anybody talking to me. I'm on my way home, and this kid's mine. I'm on my way home, minding my own business. I ain't bothering mm-hmm. nobody. So why are y'all messing with yeah. me? And I think that's that's where this thing went downhill. Were they trying to do the yeah. right thing and and help get him out of the elements? Uh, and, and and did he just not want to have anything to do with him, period, just leave me alone. 
But, but yeah. how do you get the kids walking down the street in the, on the side of the, on the roadway because there's ice on the sidewalk? How do you arrest them for walking in the roadway? Yeah, uh, I'm just well. That's because that's that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and and um, Keith, uh, you know, and the question, especially you know, it was snow. Uh, the temperatures were were pretty frigid outside. He's walking at night. Uh, with no jacket on, with a short sleeve shirt on, they continue to try to stop him and ask him, "Hey, are you okay? Anything we can do?" You know, and I, I told the person I was talking to, if if I stop you and ask you, "Do you need a ride home?" or "Are you okay?" and you tell me, "Hey, I'm fine. I don't need you. I don't need your help." I'm just gonna go ahead and drive down or drive down where, wherever I'm going, because again, I mean, even he was 18. Again, that situation has put another it, back something back into the spotlight, where police inserted themselves into this young man's, uh, where he was like I said, "Hey, I'm trying to walk home. I just live right down the street." So it is going to raise a lot of uh, more questions about what legal authority do police have, and as a citizen. Can I just go ahead and walk down the street and just say, "Hey, I don't, I don't need you." And, and but let me let me but, let me let me say this too, Ver. I get it, and, and and it's and it's and I get both sides. And the reason I get both sides is that he don't want no part of it. He hasn't done anything wrong, and he knows he hasn't done anything right. He's just on his way home. This is a routine act he does every day. But you got to think about these officers that are like, "Hey, man, if I don't help this dude, and something happens, and people find out that we saw him." or they find out that we tried to encounter him and, and this, then we, we've had this driven into our minds, into our head, liability, liability. You know, if you don't help someone or you don't sometimes make a person do what you want them to do, then we're going to, even though it, even though there might not be a reason for the, for, for you to make them do it, we're going to get sued. You know, we, we, we worry about that. And, and, and I'm like you, I mean, you can do so much, but once you, See that it's getting out of control, and this kid says, "Hey, I'm I'm I live right around the corner. I'm going home." Then you just back off, you know. But yeah, you know, I wasn't there, you know. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. Well, hey, Keith, uh, I think we're we're coming up on our, our first break, uh, so we're gonna take this break. But soon, once we come back out of the break, we're definitely gonna uh, switch things over and talk with uh, Chief Doug Shoemaker, who is standing by with us, but uh, we're going to take this break, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Thank you. I'm here, Bert. Okay. Hey, um, well, I guess uh, we're trying to figure out what's going on on our end. Uh, Chief Shoemaker, are you there with us? All right. Well, hey, Keith, we're going to get some things worked out. And um, But, you know, going back to the the incident there that happened in in Plano, it's apparent that there's some 
you know, obviously, you know, the chief just came out and said, hey, you know, the officers were just doing a welfare check uh, on this individual who was walking home uh, late at night, and they were worried about his welfare and, and his safety uh, because of the temperatures and the fact that it had been snowing in the, in the Dallas area. And um, Recovery but, Month has become you know, widely recognized and does an outstanding job of celebrating recovery, increasing awareness, and acknowledging the amazing work of providers, advocates, people in recovery, and their families. I believe our work together is helping many Americans better understand, seek out, attain, and sustain recovery. What began as a small and very good idea has grown into a national, mainstream, sustained, and systematic public education and support effort, all focused on the message that people recover. Getting the message of recovery right is critical because people take action based on what they hear and see and, most importantly, what they experience. Experience shapes our knowledge, our values, our attitudes, our beliefs, and our action. Of those who recognized their need for treatment but didn't receive care, the number one reason was no health coverage and could not afford the cost. No one in need should be denied the opportunity for treatment and recovery in our country. Welcome back to the show. It's you on the law on the Bastion News Radio Network, and uh, we thank you for joining us. If you have any questions, hit us up at 646-929-0130 or on our Facebook page and Twitter pages as well. Uh, the chat room is open as well for you to bring in your information. Back to uh, Keith. Chief uh, Keith Humphrey and Chief Virgil Wright. Hey, we want to welcome everyone back to You and the Law on the Back to the News Radio Network. Uh, we want to get over and uh, talk to our guest who uh, is going to join us, uh, Chief Doug Shoemaker. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you, gentlemen, this evening? Uh, we're doing great. We're doing great. How's Thank it going, Chief? For... How's it going? Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for the invite. I'm uh, excited to be here. I've heard nothing but great things about you guys, so it's it's an honor for me to be here. Well, good, man. I, I know you heard a lot of great things about me. I don't know anything about, you know, <laughs> Chief Humphrey, but, you know, uh, you know, because, you know, uh, we, we both know uh, David Boggs, and, you know, he says highly, he speaks highly of, of, of me, but Chief Humphrey, I don't know. That's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, Chief, man, we're, we're definitely glad you could uh, could come on the show and, and talk to us uh, uh, about this very important topic of uh, police image and how we are working to tell our story better. And we want to remind our listeners that if you're just now tuning into the show, you know, the calling number is 646-929-0130. The chat room is open. Uh, Leave your, uh, let your producer know you've got a question or a comment. Uh, He'll get that to us, or you can come on and and speak to us live. But if you missed any part of our live show, you can definitely uh, check out the um, uh, 
previous air shows and this show at the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com. So, uh, Shoemaker, just uh, tell our, uh, I kind of told our listeners a little bit about you, but uh, you can tell a better story of, of who you are and where you where you're at and where you came from. Well, you did a great job, actually. So I guess I guess uh, David Boggs was right about uh, about all the great things he said. So I've, it's been a little over thirty <laughs> a little over thirty years for me in law enforcement. I spent uh, oh. almost twenty seven years in in Jeff City, Missouri, and came to Grand Junction, Colorado. And now I'm honored enough to be the chief here. And um, you know, it's been a heck of a ride. Um, all these years and and I've got a lot left in the tank and I, I, it's funny. I love the job as much as when I started, quite frankly, I'm extremely passionate Mm -hmm. about it. I, I'm lucky enough to work with a lot of great women and men uh, who do the job every day. And um, it's despite some of the negativity that, uh, that surrounds uh, the law enforcement on a national level. um, You know, I, 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 I'm still very much in love with the job and um, feel very, very honored to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Now you were in. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, were were you in the Missouri area when, back in 2014, with the whole uh, incident with uh, Michael Brown and Ferguson? Yeah, um, that was August of 2014, and I was in the state capitol, and um, yeah, we dealt with it uh, directly. We were just about 90 miles or 100 miles west of, of Ferguson, which is a north suburb of St. Louis and St. Louis County. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, certainly all throughout Missouri, the reverberations of what took place um, really affected all of us as it did across the nation. But I think probably being in Missouri, it sort of was, you know, just a little more, it just felt a little more um, close to home, I suppose. So uh, and actually okay. what, what happened is, is later that year, the NAACP sponsored a, uh, a march called the Journey for Justice, which was a march along Highway 50 from Ferguson, Missouri to Jeff City, and I was the incident commander for that particular um, particular march. And so I was working public information and doing incident command for that. So um, there was a lot going on in 2014, and certainly uh, that was close to home, and, um, you know, we worked through all those types of things. And I think we did a really good job with uh, how we handled that march and protecting the right of those who wish to protest peacefully while certainly um, dealing with the, the, the fears from what people saw on TV as to what happened in Ferguson. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and so you're going to probably know some of the same people that, that me and T. Humphrey know. Uh, yeah, I think Ernest Green, uh, you remember him with Noble back then. Uh, he was a, Chapter President for Noble uh, in the Missouri area. Where you did you ever get a chance to meet Ernest? Never met him, but knew of him. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then uh, 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 Kenneth Gre- Kenneth Gregory, I believe he uh-huh. still. Uh, is, I think he's the deputy chief with uh, St. Louis County. Uh, know him re- very well as well. It's a small world sometimes in our field, despite how big yeah, the country yeah. is, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Hey, so, so hey let Chief, us, let us you... go ahead. Hey, Please. hey, Chief. Uh, thank you for being on the show, as I mentioned earlier. But could you, uh, could you just to the listeners, kind of talk about the the uniqueness and the and the honor of being uh, in line to be the chief? I mean, the uh, president of the IACP. 
you're you're running for fifth vice president, and so could you kind of explain how that works? And, it, and at some point, you will be the president of IACP. Well, if elected, yeah, there's an election process if that elected. goes through. And you will be yeah, elected. But... You you will be elected. <laughs> Well, that is my goal, sir. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, I certainly, I certainly respect the other two gentlemen who are running, and appreciate the fact that they're putting themselves out there too. So, um, basically, as, as as you gentlemen know, and our listeners don't, the IACP is a, a, a large, massive organization of police executives and members uh, across the country and across the world that represents police chiefs uh, really everywhere. So, uh, been in existence for quite some time, and and. Um, I made the decision to run for the position for the fifth vice president, which ultimately does ascend to the presidency, not till 2026, but quite frankly, because I want to do more. Um, my very first conference was in New Orleans back in 2007, and that was the last time we had the conference there. And uh, this year, the conference is, is uh, again in New Orleans, so I'm, I'm excited to be back there again, obviously, and uh, know some great people down there, but... This is the chance to really talk about the why of what we do, what we do. And despite some of the negativity, um, I think it's almost one of the best times to be in policing to really try and work through positive change and, um, and, and just really taking that extra step to engage with the community. And that's quite frankly, what my career has been about is working with the community. And I want to take that to a national international level and talk about some of the good things that happen and, and really reshape that narrative a little bit, because I don't think our story is getting told the way it needs to be told. Um, you know, we certainly have our, our challenges and our flaws, uh, but uh, you know, we, I think we all can name uh, men and women that do the job every single day and have these points of contact, which are extremely positive and can be difference makers. And I'm sure both of you can look back on your career. Remember specific times where, you were there on somebody's darkest day, and you made that difference. And you may not want to admit that, but you know in your heart you did. And, and those are the types of stories I want to tell. So I'm an eternal optimist, and that's how I am. Um, I, I like to go to work. I like to get things done, and uh, I love community partnerships and collaboration. And, and really, I enjoyed that aspect of my time at Jeff City, of being able to work with the community, whether it's been Boys and Girls Club or United Way or other charitable things that uh, really have made a difference for me. Okay. Now, let us uh, go ahead, Keith. No, no, no. That that was it. Okay. Well, hey, uh, see, kind of tell uh, tell our listeners about uh, you serve on the the uh, per, police professional standards and ethics committee. Um, what does that committee entail uh, with your involvement in it? Uh, so our list our listeners can be a little bit more aware of what what that committee does and how important that committee is to law enforcement and to IACP. Sure. So for IACP, um, there are a limited number of standing committees, and membership on a committee is, is given by the president of the IACP, which rotates every year. Um, so <clears throat> I was appointed by President Cass Stevens, who's the immediate past president of IACP from Illinois, back in 2019 to be the chair of Police Professional Standards, Ethics, and Image. And then I was reappointed that to that position as chairperson for the committee this year by Chief Renault, who's from California. And, um, you know, as, as you can imagine, and as the name itself implies, we're kind of at the forefront of everything right now, um, you know, being mm-hmm. professional standards, ethics, and image. It's, it's the culmination of 2020 all wrapped up in one committee, I guess. 
um, all the things that we can do. So we've hit the ground running. Um, currently, our committee is already uh, deep in on, on some work, one of which is revising the Code of Ethics for ICT, which has not been revised since the 1950s. Uh, way overdue, wow. and yeah, we're taking charge of that, and we're also launching, and we just had a meeting this morning, as a matter of fact, a a, a massive kind of never-done-before branding image campaign for ICP that involves not only us, but the public information officer section and several other committees for ICP. So this is a big collaborative effort, and we're working with uh, the few of the current sitting vice presidents to really talk about how do we get our message out there? Uh, what's, what are we doing now that's not working? And, and Admittedly, gentlemen, sometimes we're our own worst enemies on getting our message out. Um, exactly. And so that's 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 what I want to change. Uh, Ferguson's case in point, Minneapolis case in point. Um, we just need to do a better job of, of talking and explaining why things happen um, and not being in a, in a defensive way, but that education piece up front to build those relationships is really key. So that's what our committee's focused on, and, and we're at the center of it. Oh, okay. Are there any other organizations that that are part of the uh, discussion with uh, the professional standards and ethics committee, such as Noble? Or uh, I know you know Noble is a big has a big conference. ICP has a big conference, and every time there's an ICP, there's a, a large contingency of, of, of Noble members who attend the ICP conference. I was just wondering, are are there any outside uh, organ, uh, association or organizations that have an input with any new uh, policies or things that are being drafted? Yeah, it's a great question, and that's the goal moving forward. Um, so I am a member of Noble. I'm also a member of NOLI, which is the National Association of Women Law Enforcement Executives. Um, and so my 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 goal, if, if I happen to get elected, I guess, moving forward, um, or when, I guess, according to the chief, um, is, is to really start more collaboration. And, and some things are a little difficult right now in terms of how we try and push things forward within the committee. So we're trying to set a base of things and then really work through what that looks like to involve other folks in the conversation to get different viewpoints and, and to give different perspectives. The, uh, the recent task force uh, that you might remember, that's the, the use of force task force, was a collaborative effort between Noble, IATLIS, um, ICP, and several other organizations that I think was was a good start. And so, as the committee evolves, and we how it works with ICP is we prepare things to bring it forward to the vice presidents. And if that gets approved as things move on, then we can kind of take it outside, take it take it on the road, if you will, and um, have some more discussions. The final product won't be finished this year or even close to it. We've literally just had our I think third or fourth meeting today. So it's uh, as we have general discussions in house as to what it looks like moving forward. Uh, it's going to be nice to have other people that come to the table. And for me, that's that's really quite frankly part of my. I hate to call it a platform because it makes me sound political, but um, <laughs> it's part of my. It's part of, of what I like to do, and that's bring people to the table. And everybody has a seat at the table to talk about their issues. And um, I think we're more effective together than we are kind of divided. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, uh, guys, I want to remind our listeners that if you're just now tuning into You and the Law uh, podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, uh, we have uh, uh, guest uh, Chief Doug Shoemaker uh, is talking with us about uh, 
belief, image, and how we are working to tell our story better. And as you stated, Chief, uh, oftentimes we're a little bit behind the curve on things, and uh, the, the media and social media kind of is the narrative of telling that story, and you, you find some agencies who are behind the curve and trying to, to fix some things to tell a story better. So uh, this is a good topic that, uh, that we're uh, discussing uh, with you and our listeners. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, as, as we venture forth and, and see how we can do things better, um, I think constant improvement and, and communication is key. When we don't tell our story, uh, somebody else is going to tell it for us, and more often than not, it's not going to be a positive outcome for us. It's not going to look the way we want it um, we want it to look. So we've got to do a better job of telling our story. Yeah. So, so this question was posed to me by one of our, our listeners. Um, with this past year that, you know, everything was dealt with from George Floyd to Minneapolis to, you know, uh, so many other uh, unfortunate police uh, shootings, uh, killings of unarmed black men. Um, when, when people in the, in the minority community hear uh, that, hey, police need to, to change their image, tell a story uh, better. Uh, do you really think that in the minority community they're going to be receptive to uh, to law enforcement trying to to do things better um, with things that we saw that were really bad in in 2020? Yeah, actually I do, um, and and here's why. I mean, I, I'm sure you. You're both aware of the recent poll to talk about, uh, in particular, um, in 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 different neighborhoods, whether it's you know African American neighborhoods or Latino neighborhoods or other neighborhoods. But people actually want more policing. They just want quote better policing in their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, people have people have the right to live peacefully within their neighborhood, no matter their socioeconomic status. It's, it shouldn't matter, and, and perhaps that makes me a bit of an idealist, but in reality, I think that's what we're all trying to do. So um, it's a matter of really engaging and trying to work more with with neighborhoods, and I hate to go back to the community policing, um, kind of the basics, if you will, but, you know, in my opinion, it works when you when you engage with people and, and you're assigned to a district, for example, and that's your area, uh, and I did it. I mean, I was assigned to a higher crime area when I was a rookie cop. Um, I think I was successful, and some of the people I worked with were successful because we didn't just drive through and, you know, make passes through there and, and look for everything bad all the time. Was we, would, we would engage with residents, and, and it took time. But after a while, you start to break down those barriers, and people start to trust you. And, and, you know, that integrity piece is obviously key, and you earn trust and respect, and that takes time. You don't just get it because you wear a uniform. It's not how that works. So mm-hmm. you take the time, and, and you get to know people. You get to know what their challenges are. And soon when something happens, um, they call you, and they'll speak to you about that because they trust you. And they want their neighborhood cleaned up too. So I do actually think it'll resonate, and I, I do think it's going to take a lot of work, but hopefully nobody get into police work to think it was going to be an easy job anyway. I mean, we certainly don't do it for the money. We do it because it's a calling, and uh, there are some great people that have 
sacrificed everything. I mean, this year already we have 51 line of duty deaths. Last year I think we had about 350. So people are committed to doing this job and telling that story as to the why. The reasons why they're doing the job I think is extremely important. And I do think on a human level that resonates. It's just how we tell the story. Exactly. Okay. Well, hey, guys, we're coming up uh, to take our uh, next break. Uh, but we want to remind our listeners that you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And if you're just now tuning in, uh, if you miss any parts of the show, uh, definitely uh, go back and uh, check out this show and previous shows at thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. That's thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. And follow us on our social media platforms. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. And you can follow us on Twitter. And you can follow T-Swag on his swag page. So, but uh, if you can find it. But, uh, hey, guys, we're going to take this uh, quick break. And uh, we come back, we're definitely going to get back into talking to Chief Dutch Shoemaker about uh, the image of law enforcement. We'll be right back with you. You listen to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'm Ken Blackwell, a senior fellow at the Family Research Council and the former Secretary of State in Ohio. The black history figure I most admire is my uncle, D. Hart Hubbard, who was the first black American to win an Olympic gold medal in an individual event. He competed in track and field at the 1924 Paris Olympics, the one made famous in the movie Chariots of Fire, and he won the gold in the long jump competition. D. Hart Hubbard didn't compete in all events for which he qualified, not because he didn't want to, but because he wasn't allowed to. He was denied a fair chance to race by the International Olympic Committee because of his race. But this didn't embitter him. Having been a star athlete at the University of Michigan, it motivated him to compete even harder. After Paris, he returned to his hometown of Cincinnati and started the Cincinnati Tigers of the American Negro Baseball League. Although he's most remembered for his track and field accomplishments, D. Hart Hubbard, a Christian, was most proud to be running the race described in Hebrews 12 of the Holy Scriptures, one where the real finish line awaited him in heaven. Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM and Chapel Hill and Carborough. If you miss any part of our broadcast, make sure you go to our website, uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. Bachelor with a T, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. Uh, while you're there, you can uh, uh, certainly browse all the pictures, all the music, all the other shows. But certainly, if you're there for you and the law, you can go right there. And click on the Union Law page and listen to all their um, interviews in its entirety, including this evening. Back to you and the law with uh, Chief Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, and their uh, special guest. Hey, we want to thank LA for. Uh, that great introduction back to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. As he shared with you, we've got a special guest on the show today. Uh, we've got uh, Chief Doug Shoemaker, who is the police chief uh, in Grand uh, 
in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. Kind of got tongue t- twisted up there a little bit, but uh, glad that you are uh, joining us on our podcast show today, Chief. And uh, he's also running for fifth vice president for IECP. And ICP is uh, going to have a conference this year in New Orleans. Uh, is that going to be a virtual conference, Chief, or is that going to be a, an in-person uh, conference in New Orleans? Well, from what I'm hearing, it's going to be both. Uh, it's, I think, full steam ahead on, a, on an in-person conference, but there will be a virtual option for, um, for, uh, for those that maybe can't attend because of training budget cuts or COVID or whatever else. But um, I think New Orleans is probably excited to host. And, uh, you know, I certainly I think it's a big draw for people to come there because there's so much history and rich tradition there, and it's just a great place to go. So an exciting year for sure. Yeah, yeah, great. Chief, Chief, I want to ask you something about the platform of the IACP because in 2016, I was uh, really touched by Chief Cunningham's speech to the general session regarding uh, the uh, admitting that law enforcement hadn't done a good job over the years in embracing relationships with minority communities. And he got a lot of negative fallout from that. But I think it started the, the the dialogue. A lot of chiefs took that back to their communities and started that dialogue. And I, I want to say that I, I I believe that when you have a platform as large as IACP, uh, I don't think the listeners understand the magnitude of that org of the organization, especially at a conference. Uh, you reach people from not just the United States but all over the world. You have law enforcement officials from all over the world who come in. But I really think that, that, that Chief Cunningham, uh, Terrence Cunningham, kind of started that ball rolling in 2016. We had just had, uh, you know, not too long before that, uh, Trayvon Martin and then Michael Brown and then some other things. And he basically took it, you know, as an outgoing outgoing president. He basically said, hey, we got to do better. Um, do, you, do you think that we're still doing that? We're still – Utilizing that this, our platform and and we're and we're making those strides to make things better between law enforcement and communities of color. I, I think it depends on where you are. Um, you know, I think it depends on on the community that you serve, and I think it depends on um, how progressive you want to be. I, I I made a I made a post um, back after uh, George Floyd. And uh, I, I typically don't get, uh, again, I use the word political, but I, I typically don't dive into those types of major issues on my, my Twitter feed uh, for work. And, um, but I will tell you the video of George Floyd just incensed me and I was very angry over what took place. And I took to social media and I did a string of posts um, condemning what took place and, and, talking to my fellow law enforcement professionals and saying, we've got to do better. I mean, what are we doing here? Uh, this is just, it, it, it just, I think it hits you to the core. And um, what I really didn't expect, I think for me personally is, is that post actually reached a quarter million people. Um, and, and I didn't see that coming. I don't think, but it also ended up engaging, allowing me to engage with um Coach Tremaine Jackson, who actually came to us here at Colorado Mesa University, and he's the first African-American football coach we've ever had here. Again, I've only been here three years, but Tremaine 
came up here and, and Tremaine DM'd me on Twitter and said, Hey, I really like what you said. Let's have coffee and let's talk about things. And so we did. And, and from that blossomed this friendship um, where we're now working with kind of the football team to talk about, which is, which is now primarily African-American or it wasn't before, but coach has done some wonders with building that team and, and doing just kind of personal and football development. And, and so I, I think, I think those of us that understand the importance of it are, are trying to do it. But I think there are some people, quite frankly, that need to be told, you need to come along with this. This is, this is the right and ethical thing to do. And um, that's where the work lies. So, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't back down from those types of challenges. And I think it's it's something that's very noble for us to do. And, and at the end of the day, um, our goal is to serve and protect everybody equally under the law. And um, that's what I swore an oath to. And that's what I that's what I'll take to my grave. Um, so, um, to me, it is a higher calling. And, and maybe I sound um, just so optimistic on all this stuff. But quite frankly, I I, I am very passionate about it. Um, and and I do think that we've got a lot of work to do. But I also think that we've not done a good job of of really telling our story is to some of the things that we do well that maybe aren't related to this, that people can better understand who we are behind the badge. It's not just the uniform. It's a, it's a human being doing the job. Um, so yeah, we have some work. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, was, I, was, you know, I was there at that conference and that was just amazing that, that he said that. And, and you're absolutely right. We, we've got some more to do, but we don't tell our story. Um, so yeah, go ahead, Burge. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just, uh, you know, just going to say that I think, you know, when you tell your story, uh, and oftentimes this is uh, said to me that when you try to tell your story, who are you telling your story to and where are you telling the story at? And I think that's really important, especially for law enforcement, uh, to where you're telling the story at. I mean, uh, somebody said, well, you guys are just talking and telling your story amongst each other. Um, and, and Chief, you know, you've talked about the importance of community policing. And I think this is just another example of policing going into uh, neighborhoods and communities where we're not going or where law enforcement isn't going and, and talking to people who you have not talked to before because oftentimes, especially in our minority communities, oftentimes there's that barrier of where they say, well, you don't look like me, so how can you come and talk to me? So I think those are a lot of things that really uh, is going to be a real collaborative effort uh, to really, as you, as you put it, uh, tell our story better. Yeah, you're spot on right with that, and and that's where the conversations and that's where the engagement comes. Um, and a lot of it, quite frankly, is listening. And um, you know, I have a different background than somebody else has, and that gives me different experiences. But it doesn't make one better than the other. It makes it just makes them different. So understanding perspectives, understanding experiences helps us to get to know one another. And whether it's uh, an issue of race, whether it's an issue of gender or religion, um, different experiences make up who we are. And so the more we listen and engage on that level to try and better understand other folks, the better we can as police serve them. And, and mm-hmm. so it just, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a human level of policing that I think sometimes 
we just sort of take for granted because you're right. I do think that we're good as police chiefs to say, yeah, we're, this agency did a great job and they got an award this last year for doing X, Y, Z in policing. That's wonderful. But um, how are we telling the public that? And, and why are those things not on the front page of, I don't know, maybe I'm dating myself, um, the lead on the news at night? Um, and why is that not out there? And and the, the news media, I was a public information officer for over 12 years, so I've dealt with stories from the local to the international. Um, so, you know, I get news media relations, and, and that, that's, a, that's a challenge. So we have to use our own means, whether it's through our social media channels that people engage with us on or, or getting out there and, and going into to different groups and talking to people, but but you have to make that extra effort, and it is hard work, but it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, well, Chief, as you're running for the fifth vice president for IECP, uh, what what separates you, your platform, from the other two who are running for the the same fifth vice president? Well, it's a great question. I don't um... – I don't really pretend to know um, the why of the other two. Uh, I, I don't know them personally. Again, I'm sh- I'm sure they're they're great people. Uh, I just don't know them personally. I've I've connected with one uh, through social media on LinkedIn, and had a nice brief conversation with him. Very cordial. Uh, the other gentleman I don't know at all. Um, but I think the thing that I have going for me is that, that quite admittedly, and I tell this chiefs wherever I go. I was just in Alabama at the Alabama Chiefs Conference, and I said, look, I'm not here for the resume. I don't need it. Um, you know, I've made chief. I, I, feel very, I feel very fulfilled with that accomplishment. I have three degrees. I have a doctorate. Um, but that's not what this is about. This is not about the status thing. This is about coming to, to work and rolling up your sleeves and doing the job. And um, I, I've never been one afraid to work. My platform deals with communication and collaboration and wellness and training. And um, all those things I think are essential to us getting better as professionals to do a better job for our community. So it's, it's a passion for me. This is something I want to pay it forward. I've had so many people at IACP that I never would have known had I not gone to the conference that took time out of their schedules to, to ensure that I had a good conference experience to tell me what to look for, how to, how to do better, how to get involved. And that has really resonated with me. And it's made me become a better leader. So it's time to pay it forward, and I want other people that may not have those resources to feel like they're part of something that's a resource to them that's there to help them during those tough times. And I feel we're much better together as a group uh, to deal with things and to get through them together uh, collectively than we are separated. So it's, it's a big task in front of us, and it's going to take all of us to do it, and listening is key. And so I'm, you know, like I said, I come to work, and I want to work. And if it's um, if it's not in the cards that I that I don't win for whatever reason, then I'll continue to do the work. Uh, that's just because of what I'm passionate about. But um, this is what I want, and this is what I want to do. And I have no fear of taking this on on a national level or international level. But I'm going to have a lot of people with me, and this is going to be a partnership, not a not a one person show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, Chief, as you travel around the country, uh, you know, visiting with different chiefs associations and and their members, um, do you do you see where agencies have fully embraced the 21st century community policing? Uh, you know, those, those six pillars that was was put in uh, under the Obama administration, 
or do you see some agencies who are using part of it but not fully uh, using all of those pillars to to really redefine their police department? Well, you know, with everybody that I've met, they get the six pillars. But some of them, um, I think that the difficulty is, is is implementing and figuring out what's the best way to do it. And, mm-hmm. um, for example, technology and social media, one of the six pillars. Uh, some folks are just not really good at it, and they don't understand the ins and outs and the why and the, and the necessity of doing certain things. When Minnesota made a move to get rid of their public information officers from the from, sorry, Minneapolis Police Department, um, that, was, that was not good because we need to be able to tell our story, and our public information officers are a critical part of that, of that, that whole thing. So if a chief doesn't know how to do it, which is it happens a lot. That's not, it's not a big deal, but somebody better be able to figure out how to tell that story because social media is not going away. And again, it's, it's working through that narrative. So a lot of people want to, or they've tried to, but they just don't know how sometimes. And that's, I think, where the ICP can come in to better provide opportunities to learn, uh, to learn from one another and to look at best practice and see how we do things. So I've got to tell you, as I visit folks across the country, whether it's been in Alabama or whether it's been in Missouri or wherever else, um, it's been, it's been rejuvenating because more often than not, the people I talk to, they're excited about the opportunity to, to keep this thing moving forward. And yeah, it's difficult at times. Um, seeing things on the news all the time that's negative, negative, negative can wear you down. And, and that's what, why the wellness piece is so important to me to make sure our men, women and men are so are, are able to do their job both, both uh, in a safe way, both uh, you know, physically safe, but also psychologically safe. But I, I've, seen, I've seen a level of, okay, let's take this thing on. And uh, to me, that's invigorating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, we're, we're going to be coming up uh, on our next break here, just uh, about three minutes away from taking our next break. But uh, if you're just now tuning into uh, You and the Law podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, uh, we are talking about police image and how we are working to tell our story better. And we're uh, having this great conversation with our guest, uh, Chief Doug uh, Shoemaker, uh, who is also running for fifth vice president for IECP. And uh, so as Chief Humphrey, you know, said earlier, hey, you've got this, uh, you're going to be that fifth vice president come September. So that's uh, uh, that's, that's how we're going to look at it. So uh, and I like that anything- optimism. Let's do this thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, w- hey, we're behind you 100%. So, uh uh, you know, and, you know, sometimes, you know, my co-host, he can be pretty quiet over there. So, you know, I don't know, you know, if he, you know, if he's sipping on something or what he's doing, but, uh, you know, well, he, he's a good, co- to he's you. a good co-host. <laughs> Listen, I'm listening. I'm listening to you, man. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> impressed with both of you gentlemen, man. I'm, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to catch oh, up to y'all's wow. stats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well hey, Chief, uh, you know, what, I'm going to ask you this question, and we probably will get into it after we come out of the break, but has COVID impacted uh, how things are, are going? Well, I know it has, but as far as 
you uh, running for this fifth vice president position, knowing that you really can't get out, knowing how everything is going on with so many different states around the country. Uh, has that really had some limitations on what you're able to do? Yeah, absolutely. It has. It's yeah. been, um, yeah, it's been really different uh, because normally uh, during these, these processes, um, you know, you go to these different states and you talk to people about what your message is and why you're doing it. And it's been done virtually via Zoom in a few cases. Uh, Alabama was an exception, and uh, next month I'll be in Texas. Um, and, and so in uh, Florida, Pennsylvania are coming up. So as things start to open up, it, it makes a big difference. But, you know, Zoom is great. It's, that's fine, and it's the way we work. But I will tell you that I, I love to engage in person. I love to shake hands with people. I love to have conversations with them. Uh, up close and just really dig into, you know, seeing how they react to things. And to me, um, the human interaction and that connection is, is one of the most important things. And that's what I'm, I'm most passionate about to see how people react and how you can really make a difference. And I think that does help a lot to break down, um, you know, the, the whole formality of zoom, but as great as it is, or, or any other situation, um, it's just not the same it's, it's, as both yeah. of you gentlemen know, it's just not the same as in person. So it has been limiting. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you adjust and you overcome and, and we've done some great things with, with our website. Um, I have a, a campaign team that's just unbelievable and how well they work and, and how energized they are. And, and I'm blessed to have them. Um, and so, you know, we're doing all kinds of things, obviously social media. So you just, you adapt to what okay. the situation is and, and you move forward. Okay. Well, well, Hey guys, we're going to take uh take a quick break and we're going to be right back, but you're listening to you and the law on the bachelor news radio network. I want to feel the heat with somebody. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Blog Talk. Welcome back to the Bachelor News uh, uh, Radio Network and, of course, the show You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM and uh, uh, Chapel Hill Carborough, the hosts, uh, Chief uh, Keith Humphrey and uh, Chief Virgil Green, their uh, special guest as well. If you have a question, hit us up before we lose the live feed at 646-929-0130 to get in touch with us. You can also uh, hit us up on our Facebook pages and, of course, on uh, the You and the Law page as well. A uh, question, guys, came from Melanie and Judd, um, and I guess really it, it could apply to you and your guest. The first question was uh, it related to COVID, but also uh, have you had to change your imagery 
um, and your image, they said, in the midst of COVID-19 and uh, the climate of um, race, and they mentioned, you know, uh, hate hate groups. And then the second question they asked is that, um, are you guys making any adjustments um, in 2021 uh, uh, based on those things? And that came from, um, as I mentioned, Judd and uh, Carolina. Back to you. Uh, Chief Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, and your guest. All right. Hey, thanks. Thanks, L.A. Uh, and uh, we want to remind our listeners we've got a uh, special guest on the day, uh, Chief Doug Shoemaker, who is the police chief in Grand Junction, Colorado, and he is uh, running for fifth vice president for, for IECP. And we're having this conversation about uh, police image and how we are working to tell our story better. And, and those two questions from our listeners kind of really fall in line with, with the topic of the show, uh, uh, Chief Shoemaker. Yeah, those are great questions. And um, we, I don't know that we've, we've adapted things so much as we've, we've been, we've, I think anytime something happens, law enforcement constantly evolves and it should constantly evolve. It should never be, it should never be in stasis. It should never be, well, this is the right way. We've got this down and we're never going to change it. Um, that's antiquated and just not good for law enforcement. So, you know, this is, this is while despite the obvious strategy and what took place, much as I mentioned earlier with my conversation with Coach Jackson, I mean, it has opened up some opportunities to engage on in ways that maybe we had never thought of before. Um, and so, as we look locally, what we've done is, is there's something called the Grand Valley Task Force, which is something that was set up uh, after Coach and I started talking, um, but this was a city-based task force to talk about race and equity within our, our area on the western slope of Colorado. And I'm the co-chair of the law enforcement group, and I, I work with another gentleman who's from the, a member of the public. And, um, you know, we've talked about how does this look in terms of how do we engage better with the public? What do we do? Um, what do we do with um, you know, minority groups now in terms of how do we engage, how do we recruit, uh, which is the age-old question in law enforcement. How do we continue to continue to recruit to be a more diverse law enforcement agency? Um, one thing that has been very clear this last year and into this year with the election has been hate groups. Um, and as obviously from the Capitol, uh, that's affected us in, in the worst way possible too, in, in the anti-police rhetoric on that level and, and just – the lack of caring for, for human life on a lot of things has been really, you know, disheartening and something we've had to watch for. So it's sort of come from all angles, um, the very real threats from hate groups um, and, and all the situations we've had. So we've had to be more cognizant of, of different um, different challenges that maybe we've not had as, as much before. But I also, again, going to the back to the glass half full thing, um, you know, we've, we've, we've had some opportunities, and I think it falls on us to grab those and run with them and then embrace those as much as we possibly can. And, and the, the Grand Valley Task Force, my relationship with the CMB football team and Coach Jackson, all these things I think are um, – I think these are good. And so I'm, I'm again, uh, excited about, about the, the future. Well, and, you know – Chief, one of the, the things, especially when we talk about, you know, the uh, telling our story better and, and, and the image of law enforcement and, and for 
with everything that took place at our nation's capital and, and now with the Senate hearings coming out and you're hearing about, you know, I think right now there's been over 200 and some people who have been uh, arrested and charged with, with different types of crimes. But the sad part about it is that you are hearing current retired law enforcement who were a part of this uh, horrible thing that took place on our nation's capital. Um, does that make it even harder for law enforcement to really uh, do a better job of, of uh, as we're talking about telling our story better and in the police image? Well, it does. And that's the reality of it. Um, you know, the fact that people, I, I don't know of any other profession, quite frankly, uh, where if somebody does something afterwards, uh, like after their career, you know, here, a former doctor, such and such was found to have done this or, or a former attorney for such and such now retired, but you do see former law enforcement. So there's, there's a higher standard that sometimes can be admittedly a little frustrating because we can't ever escape it. But there are some bad people that just shouldn't be in law enforcement. I mean, let's admit it. I think we all know that. There are cops out there that should not be cops. They probably should be in prison. And that's mm -hmm. the scary part for us. And uh, those of us that are doing the right thing, that are trying to work hard to better our communities, we don't want them in the job either. Um, we had a Senate bill passed this past year here in Colorado that – basically is a decertification database to get rid of bad cops. And some people thought, well, that's too strong. Why would I, why would I want to hire somebody that left an agency after they committed some sort of violation or, or committed, or they lied or, or there was an issue of trust or worse yet did something physically against somebody that, that ended up costing them, you know, to that level. Why would I ever want to hire somebody like that? So, you know, I think those things we embrace, as much as we can and, and try and keep moving forward. Uh, I do say that does have a balance though. And one thing we need to be very cautious of is if, if the rhetoric becomes too negative over time, I, I do worry about who would want to do the job. And, and in recruiting, as you have seen across the country, the numbers are down um, locally. Uh, we're doing really well. We've had, I think over 300 applicants. I think our process for sponsorship for the academy closes here in five days, but um, but we've changed how we've recruited, and instead of recruiting the traditional way with the the cool SWAT videos, et cetera, et cetera, we've taken it back to what it's like to be a member of the community of Grand Junction and then to be a police officer here. And we've we've talked about the culture and the family, and that has really resonated not only locally but across the country. We took some fairly national acclaim for the video that we have out on our website because it's it speaks to the heart of people. And but that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people with a heart, uh, servant's heart, if you will, uh, to go out and do these types of things. And I think that's why we've been successful. But not everybody is doing that. But the more we spread the word about how effective that is and telling our story as to why, then I think we can do a better job with it. Okay. Well, hey, uh, guys, I think we've got a, another question from uh, a, a listener and uh, I think, L.A., uh, you got that question from the listener? Yes, sir. Uh, this is from um, David and Denver, and he kind of piggybacked on what uh, you guys and you guys were talking about. I believe he was asking this question to all of you because you are uh, um, 
law enforcement and, and police chiefs and agencies. Uh, he said he served in that area. He didn't want to go into, I asked him, he didn't want to go into where he did. And that's, I guess that's understandable. Uh, he's not in law enforcement anymore. But he said with the uh, incident on January 6th, he said, um, he asked, how do you guys, um, uh, um, let me go back and read. How do you guys uh, look those in the mirror who made those mistakes, who did those things, those those errors in terms of uh, um, being a part of those groups? And then they, and he also asked, how do you um, uh, manage it from a policing standpoint within your agencies? If I, if I can, if I can answer that, uh, you cut ties with those individuals as soon as you can. Uh, you, you cannot sit there as a police chief and know that some of your members took part in that um, uh, in that in those in those riots. And you know, each day we're learning more and more about the things that were said. Uh, there's been a young African American officer that came on and basically said that he was called the N word just because he was basically saying, "Hey, man, what's going on here? You know, let's let's what are we doing?" And so. As soon as you determine that, that's where your strong policies and your and and that chief sets the tone for what will be tolerated, and whatnot, and your policies regarding conduct outside of the job and how it brings shame to the department. You have to enforce those very strictly. Uh, you 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 don't you don't look at those individuals. You 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 deal with them and you and you you eliminate them from your organization as quickly as possible. You do whatever you can do to ensure that the state does not license those individuals again. That's where it starts. You, you've got to set that message that it's not going to that's not going to happen under my watch. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely correct, uh, Chief Shoemaker. You got anything to add to that? No, it's it's exactly the, the chief said it well. I mean, it's about the culture, and if your culture allows for that. Um, I, you know, I just, I, I got to wonder where your heart is. And if, if you think it's okay to be a part of a violent insurrection, eh, policing is probably not the career for you. And so it's just, yeah. it's not, it's not what we stand for. I mean, if any, if you took, if anybody took one moment to watch the video of that officer being stuck in that door and being crushed and, and, and beaten and all these other things with blue line flags, um, yeah. you know, don't, don't talk, don't talk to me about about protecting and serving when 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 you condone that type <laughs> of behavior, it it sickens me to my core, and I, I don't have any love in my heart for that. And some people will say I'm too outspoken on it, but quite frankly, I don't care. So that's just who I am, and that's how I feel about it. And and this profession is better than that. And I know way too many women and men that are better than that. So I just yeah, it's not my thing. Well, it's a chief. It's an insult. It's an insult for for you to one time say that we're all together. And, and we're working for the same cause, but at the same time, you're being destructive, you're being xenophobic, uh, you're being disrespectful to someone that you just said a few days ago. So when you were at work, you looked at someone who looks like me and said, oh, man, I got your back and things like that. So it's a, it's kind of that old verbiage, you're two-faced. <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you, can't, you can't be two-faced. You know, either you are this way or right. you're not. You know, I, I yeah. always I, I open our academy. I'm, I'm sorry, I think I interrupted you, Chief. I apologize. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I open. I'm, I'm I'm at the first day of our academy uh, here in in Grand Junction, our, our western 
uh, Colorado Police Officers Academy, and I always talk about the why of policing, and I, and I talk specifically about the oath that you take, and I talk to the officers, whether there are officers or officers going somewhere else or deputies, whatever else. Uh, I talk about the importance of never forgetting why you joined this profession in the first place, and sometimes all you have when you're out there on patrol is your integrity, and once you lose that integrity, you're done. You have nothing else at times. And that integrity is what will make you successful so long as you stay humble. And that integrity is what will make you successful because you've stayed true to what you've sworn an oath. And this is bigger than you. This is about a profession. This is about a calling. This is about something that is absolutely so worthwhile that very few people, quite frankly, can do it. But those that do need to understand that nobody forced you to go into law enforcement. This was a choice. And if you make that choice, then you need to do it 110% and there's no room for error on that. And I'm talking, I'm not talking mental errors. We all make mistakes. I'm talking mistakes of the heart that we know are intentionally wrong. So that's sort of my take on it. Yeah. Well, Hey uh, guys, we're coming up on the last minute of the show, but chief, we definitely want to thank you for taking the time out uh, of your busy schedule to, to come on you on the law podcast show and to talk with us and our listeners about, who you are and, and, and what you got going on in Grand Junction, Colorado, and that you're running for fifth vice president. Uh, if people want to know more about you and uh, your uh, fifth vice president, how can they look you up and, and learn more about who, uh, who Chief Doug Shoemaker is? Sure. Well, I engage um, on Twitter at uh, the handle at Doug, D-O-U-G-F-O-R, uh, four spelled out IACP. It's all one word. It's with our handle, Doug for IACP. Or you can go to the website at uh, Doug for IACP.com. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, hey, we definitely want to uh, get you back on before uh, the uh, IACP conference in September. Uh, it's definitely been a pleasure to, to have you on, and, and we're going to be looking forward to, to getting you back on. and and having uh, some more uh, uh, conversations about uh, the image of policing and, and how we can tell the story of policing better. Uh, but we definitely thank you, sir. And uh, with that, uh, Chief Swag, uh, we will see you uh, next time, sir. And uh, to our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And tune in next week for All right, another edition of You and the Law. All right. You guys take Thank care of the weekend. We will be
this how we usually start. Once again, it's the thought the Dalai Lama of the mic, the Prime Minister thought this directed to whoever is listening. Rain, yo, the whole state of things in the world about to change. Black rain falling from the sky looks strange. The ghetto was red hot, we stepping on flame. Yo, it's inflation on the price for fame, and it was all the same. But then the antidote came. The black door held syllabus out the fifth. This heavyweight rap, I'm about to lift like a father lifting the seeds to sunlight. I plug in the mic, draw like a gunfight. I never use a cordless or stand but portless. Sipping on a cell out of ill silver gauntlet. I'm like a force in monopolies the object. There ain't no way to cut this tap. You got to get wet. Your head is throbbing and I ain't said yet. The move to prove the next move, man. Yeah. 